Welcome to Neighbourly. Rhizomatic. House number 28, Little Street. At first, it was a bird. She sharply cocked her little head like a clockwork toy, scanning her surroundings. Some bird seed was scattered around the empty doorframe. The bird pecked at the seeds, absently hopping forward until she reached the threshold. She barely seemed to notice when her tiny foot brushed the cold metal of the doorframe. She hardly seemed to notice the soft steam hissing from the threshold and she definitely did not notice the pale, wispy tendril creeping up her leg and taking root behind her head. The human person at house number 17 would bandage up her sore head and send the bird back on her way. The tendrils were still there. The die had been cast. The trees outside house number 28 nearly salivated in anticipation. They were the most verdant trees in all of Little Street. A newcomer arrived on Little Street just before dawn. The only sounds were his deliberately quiet footsteps and the heavy thud of binoculars bouncing off his chest as he made his way to the front of House 28. The newcomer, Sauron, looked up. It was still dark. He stifled a yawn and figured he could take a nap later. He wanted to be awake for the sunrise. His eyes closed for a moment. Sauron had definitely not dozed off for a minute there. He came back to reality with a snap of a twig. He turned his head to see a, a deer. A tall, gangly thing with pale, flea-bitten fur and long eyelashes. Sauron wanted to say hello, but figured the deer would probably run away. So he watched. The deer slowly and deliberately walked up to a blocky rock generously positioned outside the house. They approached the salt lick with their nose and slowly licked it, pleased with the offering. Nudging the salt forward with an unnatural fervor, they advanced, not paying attention to their hoofsteps. Nothing mattered to them but the saline siren song. A click. One of their hooves touched the threshold. Sauron noticed. The deer did not. As if on cue, a thin, translucent tendril tenderly curled around their fetlock. Then it disappeared, camouflaging itself in the deer's pale fur. They suddenly turned around, staring directly into Sauron's eyes. They cocked their head, angling their long neck almost two sideways. How odd, Sauron accidentally thought out loud. The deer ran away. Sauron had missed the sunrise. Oh well. At least the birds were waking up. Sauron had always liked watching birds, and he'd heard there were lots of them on Little Street. He came to watch them swooping and chirping and watching him right back. Strange, but he felt a connection with them. Just like most of us, really. When you look into an animal's eyes and anthropomorphize them to say you've had a bonding moment. You feel like you know that animal better than anyone else in the world. 
even if it is a shark at the aquarium or a hyena at the zoo who sees hundreds of people every day. Sauron knew he was probably not special to the birds, but they were special to him. He especially liked to watch them fly. He had always wanted to climb high, always wanted to reach new heights, to ascend. Sauron heard a sudden rustling in the untamed grass in front of the house. A mouse darted back and forth in a zigzag while the long serpentine stoat pursued. The mouse, driven by pure dread, saw a hole in the ground that had not been there before. It leaped underground, its foot grazing the threshold. The stoat followed, pawing at the metal frame but eventually giving up and slinking away. The mouse popped out of the hole and went back to the grass. Neither of them noticed the tendrils on their feet. The house smiled. Well, it would have, if it had any sort of mouth at all. But since it did not, you will have to imagine the house grinning widely, drooling a little at the thought of two more permanent guests. Sauron looked at the house. He had been watching the animals so intently that he hadn't really paid attention to the house itself. It seemed plain at a glance, a standard cream colour on the outside, but it looked so warm and inviting that he was drawn to it. Sauron examined the eaves from a distance. They looked perfect, but irregular, almost organic. Fascinating. He would have to draw this one day. He stared at the house for a bit longer. It almost seemed to breathe, to respire, to undulate like a lush foliage surrounding it. Sauron inhaled. It smelled wonderful to him, like the crispness of a new sketchbook and a fresh box of coloured pencils. His favourite sense. Inspired, he thumbed through the pages of his sketchbook until he found a blank one, and he began to sketch. The bird fluttered back to her nest after a long day of doing whatever it is that birds do on Little Street. She preened her feathers, smoothed out her bedraggled wings, and nestled down for sleep. She felt something creeping up her spine. Strange. She turned her head and pecked at her back. This only succeeded in distributing the tendrils across the bird even more. The house would thank her if it could, or if it were the type of house to do so. House 28 was curious in that regard. It would take and take and take without saying thank you. Perhaps it thought its tendrils were a gift, and that any creature lucky enough to receive them should have felt honoured that they were being called up to some higher purpose. But maybe this is all just overthinking. After all, a house is just a place. A home is where it can really get interesting. The animals gathered the next day. A grizzled badger entered the garden, looking even more tired than usual. In a voice dripping with gravitas, Beck began to speak. We are here today about yet another dispute. They looked pointedly at the birds and salamanders, who were already respectively puffing up their feathers and hissing. And I am here to mediate it. The young Jay piped up. It's not just a dispute. Catherine is missing, and we all know they took her. They glared at one of the salamanders, who glared right back. 
what would we want with her? You birds are so quick to accuse us of everything. Have you considered that she probably just got lost? The jay narrowed their eyes. Catherine doesn't get lost. Her navigation skills are unmatched, and these houses are clearly numbered. Well, these houses are so clearly numbered. When did you see her last? The salamander gritted their tiny teeth. She was at our roost, and she mentioned something about green trees and some threshold and needing to go back. I don't know, okay? She, she didn't go to house 28, did she? A nervous hush fell over the garden. The rest of the animals shuddered. House 28. One of the first things you learned on Little Street, no matter what sort of beast or creature you are, is that you do not go near the threshold of House 28. Not even the strongest or bravest approached it. Beck cleared their throat. I guess that settles it. May her memory be a blessing. And my condolences... The little jay flattened their feathers. Well, what happened? Shouldn't we do something to prevent it from happening again? A cacophonous din broke out, each voice melding into each other. Then someone with a russet coat and sharp teeth sauntered up to the front. If it pleases the court, Toby began, might I propose that the adventurous, daring young Walter go investigate? He is, after all... Walter, who raises the dead. Who, me? And the clamor began once more, but this time it was all in favor of Walter's investigation. Beck, who increasingly looked like they would much rather be anywhere but here, yawned. I believe we are all unanimous, then. Walter shall investigate. Court adjourned. As the animals departed the garden, Walter stomped up to Toby. What was that for? Why'd you volunteer me? He squeaked, indignant. Toby smiled. Surely, it should be no problem. For the great, incredible, miraculous Walter who raises the dead. Think of it as another chance to prove yourself. But I don't want to prove myself. Walter thought of his person, struggling to stand, straining to focus his eyes. I just want to be okay. You'll be fine. Just solve this problem for us, okay? Saren was sitting in the grass next to House 28, absently flipping through her sketchbook and scanning for birds to draw. His eyes met those of another person, one with black clothes and big stompy boots. She gave him a cordial nod and went back to staring directly across the street from her. After a minute or so, she skulked away. Saren heard a small shuffling noise and the sound of little feet trotting up to him. Oh, hello there, little guy. Oh, you are so friendly. Oh, you're licking my arm. Oh, Petal, you look scared. Are you okay? Testing the waters, Saren inched closer to House 28. Walter stiffened, his hackles rising. He looked up at Saren. Saren moved away from the house. Walter instantly relaxed. Saren leaned over towards the house again, and Walter gently batted his hand. He cocked his head to the side and blinked, 
and Soren felt a warm rush of love compelling him to follow his new friend away from the house. That evening, the bird reappeared, this time adorned with a crown of horn-like protuberances poking through her feathers. Without realizing, she had shuffled, as if in a trance, back up the threshold and began to climb. The bird climbed up slowly, unceasingly. She stumbled once, twice, but she kept ascending. Whatever was propelling the bird did not tire. It was relentless. The bird finally reached the top of the doorframe. The house was so warm, so inviting, that she just had to go inside. As soon as she crossed the threshold, the milky-eyed bird shuddered and clamped her beak onto the eaves above. Hanging onto the rafters with a fierce strength that could not have been her own, Catherine prepared for the last slumber she would ever take. The choir of little street birds had one fewer voice that night, and the trees grew greener. Walter woke up early. He wanted to burrow into his blankets to sit on the lap of his person and go back to sleep. But he had to get out of bed to investigate House 28. Walter didn't know the first thing about investigating. He supposed it was different to just watching or observing. But watching and observing seemed like a good place to start, so he set off down the street. When Walter arrived at the lawn of House 28, he saw a tall, soft-looking person drawing in a book, wearing binoculars around his neck. The same person as yesterday. Walter didn't want to disturb him, so he quietly sat next to him and stared at the house. It looked normal, but smelled... Wonderful. Like the meat from the butcher. Wait, not exactly. Walter sniffed. Then he sniffed again. The house had an undertone of decay, an aroma of death, absent from any of the food he had smelled before. That was strange. The person drawing in the book didn't seem to mind the smell. Walter sniffed so hard he sneezed. Gesundheit! Wait, who's there? Oh, it's you! Soren seemed thrilled to see Walter again. He rummaged through his pocket. Uh, sorry, little guy. No treats today. And coffee probably isn't good for you. Walter looked up at Soren. But could I draw you? Soren flipped to a new page and began to sketch Walter. Walter looked curiously at the colorful lines taking shape on the paper. Just then, they both heard a crash from the trees on the other side of House 28. Some sort of beast staggered out with a shuddering gait and way too many leg joints. It came into view. Was that a deer? It was boasting a velvety set of... Those weren't antlers, exactly. They protruded from the deer's head, but not where one might expect antlers to sprout. And there were certainly not two. It was more like a conglomeration of tendrils twisted and braided together. Saruman looked at the deer's fur. If it hadn't been for its usual pallor, he wouldn't have been able to discern that this was the same deer from yesterday. The deer turned their head to look at Sauron, this time boring into him with opaque white eyes. Sauron shuddered. The deer blinked, and their eyelashes were now obscured by a thick layer of hyphae. They abruptly jerked towards House 28 like a fleck of iron drawn toward a magnet. Sarn and Walter glanced at each other, eyes wide. 
They heard a thump and wheeled around to find the deer bumping into the threshold, trying to fit their gangly body into the doorframe. The deer looked like a puppet, one of those puppets controlled by strings. They watched as the deer erratically rose onto their hind legs and shambled into the doorway. The innards of the house were visible now, pulsating rhythmically and moving the deer upwards like a conveyor belt. All but one of the rafters were covered by the same tendrils that had wrapped around the deer, and the deer slowly yet feverishly climbed up the shelves to get to it. The deer unlocked their jaws and clamped onto the rafter. Then it disappeared from view as the roots swirled around it and did not let it go. The house sighed and the scent of rot permeated the two onlookers' nostrils. Uh, you saw that, right? Soren squeaked. I didn't imagine that. Walter nodded, curling his mouth at the house's stench. I'm just going to maybe go somewhere else. Soren looked ill. He hoisted himself up and grabbed his sketchbook. You're welcome to come with me, little guy. Walter nodded again and followed Soren up the street, past the house with two teens and a lizard, past the bird's house, past the salamander's house, and past the house that smelled like tea, the one Walter's person used to smell like. When they arrived at house two, Walter took a running leap and hopped onto each stepping stone leading up to the door. He chirped at Soren as if to say, I'll see you tomorrow. Investigating was hard and sometimes scary but at least Walter would have a friend by his side. Sauron smiled and waved at Walter, then headed back to his car parked across from house number one. As he drove home, he wondered what it would feel like to get absorbed by whatever strange fungus thing was in the house. Would it feel weird to be mind-controlled? He assumed it would target his brain. Not that his brain had been doing him much good anyway, he snorted bitterly. Another driver honked at him. He rolled his eyes and hit the accelerator. He tried to concentrate on driving, but his mind kept wandering back to House 28. Turn around, he heard a voice thrum in his ear. You could be a hero. Don't you want to save the animals? Your beloved birds, your new friends. You have that power. You can make everything okay. Sauron dismissed the thoughts swirling around his head and kept driving. But he couldn't shake the idea that he could be a hero. He could actually amount to something. Might as well be useful for once in his life. Wait, what if he... No, that was ridiculous. He couldn't just walk in there, could he? Maybe, he rationalized, it would stave off the house's hunger even for just a little bit. Prevent what had happened to the deer, the stoat, the mouse, and all the other animals he hadn't seen. He could delay that from happening again. Yes, Saren, you know deep inside what to do. Climb, come, climb to us. And he turned his car around and drove back to House 28. Walter awoke from his nap with a start. Something was bad, he could sense. Very bad. Very urgent. 
He didn't want to leave his sleeping person, but something was telling him to go to House 28. Walter, it said. There's still time. You can investigate. You can still save him. You can be a hero. Walter was already at the door, running as fast as his little feet would carry him. Saren gently nudged his sketchbook to the side with his foot. He thought about laying his pen neatly on the book, but it didn't matter. He tucked it into a random page, then gently put the book on the sidewalk. Hopefully, his friend would find it. Walter kept running. He was tired, but adrenaline and terror coursed through his veins. Saren tentatively stuck out his foot, looking away, and said, Oh, to hell with it, and stomped hard on the threshold. It vibrated with a resonant clang. The threshold shook. The trees rustled. And Saren watched as a minuscule filament swirled out of the house and delicately curled around his ankle. He watched as more of them joined and climbed up his body. He wondered if it would hurt. He wondered again how the tendrils would get to his brain. He immediately found out. The tendrils creeped up his neck and into his ears. More seeped into his nostrils and nudged open his lips, working their way inside. He could feel them writhing around in his sinuses. He could have sworn he felt one sliding down his esophagus and into his stomach. It felt heavy, onerous. His fingertips tingled as tendrils enveloped his arms. He watched as they disappeared, camouflaging themselves among his sparse arm hairs. They tickled. He shuddered. But then he relaxed. These tendrils weren't unpleasant, just new. And they were soft, delicate, beautiful things, shimmery gossamer threads weaving a gorgeous tapestry across Saren's body. He felt peaceful, blissful even, as more high face swarmed out of the threshold and into Saren. He enjoyed being so beautiful, so delicate, so worthy, worthy of more tendrils, he thought absently. He shuffled one foot in front of the other. Wait, he couldn't go in there yet. He had to find his, his friend and... The house looked so warm and com- No! Walter. Saren struggled to focus his eyes. Walter was right there, watching it all, unblinking. How long have you been there? Saren vacantly wondered aloud. Walter tried not to show how out of breath he was, even though Saren probably wouldn't judge him. He felt he needed to be strong. Walter wanted to reach out and save Sauron, but he knew it would be too late. Little guy. Sauron's jaw was slack. He was drooling a bit. No, that was a tendril shoving his mouth open, protruding from where his tongue would be. Walter shuddered. Come climb with me, little guy, Sauron said in a voice that was not his own. Wait, no, don't climb with me. Don't come back here. Don't let anyone come back here, okay? Tell your friends to stay away from this place. Walter nodded, dumbfounded. You need to get out of here. I don't want to touch you. Walter started to step away. 
Wait, I left my sketchbook on the ground. You can have it. I <laughs> I won't be needing it anymore. Walter looked into Soren's eyes. Something was welling up, making them cloudy. At first, he couldn't tell if it was a tendril or a tear, but then Soren's voice hitched. Goodbye, Petal. Soren took a deep breath, deeper than normal. He wanted to take it all in. One last time. No. He wasn't going to think about the future. He was just going to focus on the flowers and the trees and the birds and the houses and thresholds and roots. No. Automatically, Soren started shambling towards the house like a puppet being manipulated by invisible hands. He numbly put one foot in front of the other, shifting his weight and advancing. He briefly wondered if he had left his oven on. Oh well. He had arrived. Sauron took one more breath before stepping into the maw of the eagerly awaiting house. He felt the creeping, and this time, he was ready. He felt relaxed, oddly, like he had a purpose for once, like he had found his higher calling. The tendrils reached his head. Sauron was ready. He shuffled forwards, involuntarily, even more puppet-like than before. He pressed his hand to the wall. It was so vibrant. How could he have missed it before? He found a handhold, or rather, the house found it for him, and he began to rise up to the rafters replete with past victims. He had always wanted to climb high, always wanted to reach new heights, to ascend. Walter knew Sauron had told him to get out of there. But he couldn't help but watch his new friend get swallowed by the house's ravenous rhizomes. Watching and observing was a kind of investigation after all. Walter heard the sputtering of an engine and saw a car stop in front of House 28. His person had once shown him photographs of antique cars and this seemed to be one. But Walter's person didn't read anymore. It hurt his eyes. A tall, lanky man covered in moss and soil, opened the door with his gloved hands. He was wearing goggles over his grimy glasses. He walked up to House 28 and carefully knelt down next to the threshold, filling a jar with the translucent hyphae. When he was done, he closed the jar tightly and dug a rag out from his apron pocket. He stuffed it into a bottle, lit the rag on fire, and casually tossed it into the threshold of House 28. It ignited almost immediately. As the man ran away from the burning house, he locked eyes with Walter. He grinned and waved, and got back into his car and drove off. Walter tried to remember where he'd seen the lanky man before. That smile was familiar, but Walter was too distraught to concentrate. Well... The immolation definitely solved the problem at House 28. Walter would have to tell Toby and the others about it. But he wished Sauron could be there. He glanced, then fully examined the sketchbook on the ground. It smelled like new pencils, and scrawled on the cover was dedicated to Little Guy. He nudged it, and the page flipped to a colorful sketch of Walter. He picked up the sketchbook. At least he would have something to remember Sauron by. A tear snuck out of Walter's tear duct as he carried the sketchbook gently and trotted home to his person. 
The trees outside house number 28 crackled in the conflagration. They were the most fiery trees in all of Little Treat. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by Alex Schwartz and edited by Kit Robson, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's special delivery is a box with a molar in it. Oh, and there's a note inside the molar. The paper has gotten all soggy and illegible, so I will not be reading it to you. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. go wrong in a month. 31 days, 744 hours. Less than that if you have a decent sleep schedule, but I've yet to meet anyone who does, so I'm gonna assume you all to be insomniacs or solar-powered robots until proven otherwise. Does anyone actually leave their house before 8pm anymore? I'm not leaving beforehand to check, so that can remain a mystery for now. I'd argue 8pm is a world-known time to collect energy drinks and any source of caffeine before settling down and pretending to do those papers due last month. But that's beside the point. Talking to the cat doesn't count as therapy, you know. No, but he's a good listener. I don't blame you. It's been a long month. You ready to put an end to it, Micah? As ready as I'll ever be. Then lead the way, mixed bad luck. We've got a curse to stop. What's the worst that could happen? Famous last words, Salem. Famous last words. Hurry up, guys, or I'm leaving without you. Time's up. Let's go before Bailey starts messing with things he shouldn't. What could go wrong in a month? Spoiler alert, the answer's a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Stream Mixed Bad Luck, where if you listen to podcasts, join us on our journey to find the good luck amongst the bad.